Hello again and welcome to episode 7 of Persians, the podcast. The messenger has just departed after his extraordinary delivery, confirming the extent of the Persian defeat. The Greek actress Lydia Konyordou, who has played the part of Atosa twice and directed the play, is very eloquent about the challenges facing Atosa. She must react to this catalogue of loss, but the empire must survive. So Atosa is, she's holding the, the reins of the Persian horses, you know, the Persian uh, wagon, whatever you can say it. She has a great, great responsibility. There's a huge things at stake because you cannot allow all this structure to fall apart. And it's like today I was trying to think of when I was playing it now, I didn't have this in my mind then because I was also the director. So my mind was in the performance more, (laughs) but anyway, so this time I felt that it's like seeing a landscape after a nuclear bomb has fallen which you have never seen before. And the horror and the absolute destruction, and yet you have to cope with it somehow. You have to do something about it. As the messenger departs, the chorus again refers to the malevolent spirit that seems to be intent on crushing the Persians altogether. Tossa elim agus a yan pasalt hokroshin erun gina omlon persoch. Before the messenger had even arrived, the chorus had advised Atosa to go and prepare libations and offerings to the soul of Darius, her departed husband. She now leaves the stage to do so, perhaps getting back into her luxurious chariot and with whatever attendance she has in tow. She also instructs the chorus that if her son comes back while she's at the palace, they should send him to her and not weigh them all with any further calamities. Oi, Kade and Brown are current scrisu and arm arm. Oh, a ish iha, a hive she hugum i dyrif. Kade kofirna is a nocht to hugum. Fa or nonro. Shivsha a chodja, yen shiv spurs bar, though. Marshin vain, the rare and mage a dordi more vocal. Tasty and wem or douche padrica a raw dust nadeha. And shin chuckimere rish, Thoresh and bruntnashi a horch lumped on dalif, Augustus Namarov. Agus Chorime Lum Joffina Le Dorcha Kunajeha Toa Isagam Naknian Shisha in Aro or a Will Tornia Agus Dun Tochi E Dun Amatola Chart Exulgo Rahi Nehe Ivyas Bahor Jeev Korla a Lahar Doy Shoot a Karin Winyin Anif Agus Mo Ilan Mawak Rome Togigi Solasto Agus umprigigi hunan fala se, kun na linach atila de tobishji na tobishja ar. 
At this point in the play, we move from worry about what may have happened to despair and regret for what has come to pass. Greek tragedy is somewhat notorious for putting weeping and suffering on stage, but in many ways this is where it gets its power. For Hamlet, the theatre is an attempt to hold the mirror up to nature, but for the Greeks, it is a bit more of a refraction. They use the theatre like Perseus's mirrored shield, rather than confronting Medusa or any of the horrors that tragedy investigates head-on, they peer at them through the mirror of the theatre and avoid being turned to stone. Aeschylus dramatises the Persians' loss after cataloguing the fallen Persian generals and describing the battle and its aftermath. At no point does he mention Themistocles or any Greek name at all. To mention one, he might have had to mention them all. The survivors of Salamis were in the audience. Their sons, perhaps, were in the chorus. Here's Professor Oliver Taplin talking about who might have been watching. Absolutely. They, they, they would have fought in those battles. They, some of them would have uh, lost relatives. Or, uh, all of them would know that the Persians had uh, burnt their Acropolis, uh, destroyed their Acropolis, um, and would have destroyed them if they'd been able to. So they were in a position where you might have expected them to, uh, to have wanted to be vindictive, to have shown what absolute bastards those Persians were, what barbarian uh, um, uh, uh, infidels they were, to try and destroy them, to try and destroy their temples. Um, and yet, that, that isn't the way the play treats them. That's, that's the great, uh, the extraordinary surprise of this play. The victory came at a cost, and it was recent enough that nobody could have forgotten it. It's an amazing thing that Aeschylus makes his audience imagine what it must have been like for the Persians. In the choral section that follows, the chorus questions how Zeus or Xerxes or their own ships can have possibly let this happen. In some of the most striking images of the play, they envisage the awful destruction left behind. In this particularly cruel verse, they picture the corpses that have been mangled by the sea as if whipped apart by the waves. Their remains are being nibbled by fish, the voiceless children of the sea. And every home that has lost a man now weeps, fathers and mothers without children, bewailing their old age and this cruelty that has come down to them from heaven, as they learn the terrible extent of this loss. Eid a smitig a hulk egan sale, tied on nihe eglanavi balavan mara gan heim. Agas gach tig a chail fair, tashe a kine, agas fachter and tied agas and vahish gan clown a kine lelin a shan ishe. Unanuro a honig o now. Interestingly, as the chorus reaches the end of this portion of Lament, they acknowledge that free speech will now be inevitable. Aeschylus uses language that echoes the values of individual expression central to democracy and implies that these freedoms were not so available in Persia. Yet again, we get the image of the yoke which seems to be a metaphor for how Xerxes wields his power. 
over the Hellespont, over Greece and Persia in his mother's dream, and now here over the tongues of his people. The chorus concludes with the image of Ajax's island, Salamis, soaked with Persian blood. Ni chematic dina smacht erajanga, ni smo. Squid for cad einish krikna dina nor a vinefort on king trom div. Agus ilan ajax switcher egavadiga, agus marcher lefwil. Kemadan she do hain tachi na beshach. Now Atosa returns, but this time she has come without any pomp or ceremony. The queen represents all of Persia. At the beginning, she came with all her finery, but now in this dark mirror of her first appearance, she has nothing. She holds a tray full of offerings for the dead, all of which symbolise the great bounty of the Persian earth. Milk, honey, wine and flowers. Earlier, we had an image of all the Persian soldiers being like bees who have left the hive, and now here the queen herself offers honey for the departed. This might have appeared like a common or garden funeral offering. Such scenes are not unusual in Aeschylus's plays, one of which even bears the title of libation bearers. But the queen says something very startling indeed. A chorja, ainyag wil tahiega ar an anachan, tawa isachu, Nura Irian ton tobishji igunya dini or be, Gargano gummi and scanra agus uanata. Ach nora shajin yav gabog, take to doiv, gummi green na jar raha igoni lo. Time hanafin lawn jagaso dagla. Taif shiin iwana ufara than a jeha, oskor mahul. Agus Todlor Niha Agar Kaha Eg Bauru Matlosa Tas Gamran the Tabishja Hohu Fasak Gwil She Am Hamanch Asmavyawar Is Kwikishin Atamatli Jenta Agam On Balas Ganan Karabad Nanarobi Braha Viara Mardus Eg Breh Awar Ibercha Consola Sohort the Ahamavik Then Saisa Kamadan Sakar Namarov Banya Bon Blasta of Wodlan, Mil Lenak Ahoniko Blahana, Fear Ishka Agas Lecht Allen, Own Gran Finuna. Ta Agam Lesh, Tarhi Kura and Kran Aloiga. Agas Shivcha Korja, Kanagi Uman, Kandalish Neferi Nisha, Das Namarov, Agas Gliagi Anis, or Spirit Yarius. Ferke me higa, gunolan antalav na jahanisha, in honor na nyehe hiis. At the end of the speech, the queen asks the chorus to summon up the spirit of King Darius. Not just pray to him, but call him forth, call him back to the light. The scene that follows is one of the most memorable segments of the play. The chorus summons up the ghost of the dead king to ask for his help in this calamity. This scene was so famous and so influential that a generation later, the comic writer Aristophanes mentions it in his popular play The Frogs. No less a character than Dionysus, the god of theatre himself, announces just how much he liked this extraordinary scene. There are occasional ghosts in other tragedies, 
and even Death himself shows up in one of them. But nowhere else do we get a scene of raising a spirit from the beyond. You might imagine that this was Aeschylus's invention, not least since he has ghosts show up in quite a few of his plays. It might have been riveting to see him ascribing a fantastic ritual to these strange, foreign Persians. But there's no record of there ever having been any such element to ancient Persian religion. In fact, ghost-raising was a Greek practice, as Professor Edith Hall explains. The stories about Greek religion that circulated in, in Greece at this time were surprisingly ignorant about the actual nature of Zoroastrian religion. I mean, they, they, for, for uh, people who, um, you know, went out in their ships everywhere across the Black Sea and the entire Mediterranean, the Eastern Aegean, and were good at foreign languages and, and uh, you know, had huge amounts of contact with other cultures, the um, sort of ignorance of the actual practices of other, what they call the barbarian religions, is, is, is astonishing. Um, we do know though that ghost raising from some vases, we have vases where strange ghostly figures seem to be being brought up actually in Greek religion. The Greeks did do necromancy. They even had uh, cult centers where you could go and, and conjure up um, ghosts of the dead if you, you wanted to sort of speak to them. Herodotus has a story about a tyrant who had to go and summon up his dead wife because uh, he couldn't find something that she knew where it was. So the, the, the Greeks actually had a famous nekeomantion, which means the, you know, um, mantic place for, for raising the corpses, which you could, if you were rich enough, um, actually visit. Uh, who knows what actually went on there? But the Persians, no. I mean, they didn't even have a sort of anthropomorphic religion. I mean, they, 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 they worshipped the truth and the light and the darkness and water and of rather abstract conceptions. It was, it was a very sophisticated religion. Greek religion had various unknowable practices. The oracle at Delphi was famously suffused with mystery, and the secret practices of Eleusis gave us the word mystery itself. Ghost-raising was a less central element of Greek religion, and Aeschylus piques our curiosity by staging it in his Persian context. Almost every study of Persians in performance will find some way of mentioning the seminal production by Carlos Kuhn and the art theatre, the Teatro Technis, that was a monumental success in the mid-20th century. It has been revived on numerous occasions, and I was lucky enough to do a few workshops about it with Philippos Salahouris, who was the chorus master and prepared the music for the chorus for the most recent revival. Great attention was paid to the breath, to the quality of how these elders change their attention from weeping to the guttural summoning of a ghost from his grave. Kuhn's production is a blessing and a curse for all practitioners, particularly those in Greece. Even today, any approach to the play will be measured against it. The chorus moves, dances, shouts and breathes together, not to mention many of the cries and claps and other noises they make to summon this spirit, as they will Darius to come and aid them in their time of need. Again, there is a small chance for negative or even ridiculous staging when trying to put this scene on the stage, but given the poetry of the incantations, the respect the chorus shows for their departed ruler, and the solemnity of the scene as it progresses, of course it deserves to be staged as seriously, bravely and arrestingly as possible. 
It's for moments like this that the play became famous. And it's moments like this that were designed to show the huge amount of work and preparation that went into the play after all those months of rehearsal. We don't really have any tricks or choreography available to us in this format, but we'll perform the text nevertheless, and you can summon Darius in your mind's eye. Anglesian Ari Nifa Erhoa Nanyehime, Nerisquilem Wem Stral, Father the Hanga Glan, Namarbaroch, Enyado Lemarlena Broin, Agaspene, Chartreed, On Wilshe Gestachlum, Osnaregun, Irtaracha. Agastusa a Halive. Agas na canary elia on sun hies, squealigi suas on wood halley, dear na bershach a rugg isuza, showlugi suase, showlugi suase, showlugi suas a fair narch ludig crane perche a ho va rev hannah. Ba onwin an fare, ba onwin a charin chivnachain, ba onwin e meon an dinne a chludeshe, ildonius, be mar ar chidachtado, shol suas real ahoidin yavi darian. Mernar varig she riv ard vadav le kailuint an chogig. Dudahuskalosha er humma de a gorla leshna pershig, er humma de a gorla avishe, marda studig she on adem gama. Sha, sha orsa, tar huin, tar kongurach, tar gobor the harn chivnakoin. Or the slippery boy at our the chossa, agus filesche on bar at our the chron reul. Tenig a all aher darian. Tar hunger glushig to a day of an oling ashtach moosa. A vaster na mastracha, tive shig rowing. Takios digiach her fluin os argion, the varlian the var og a huikhan bash le deani. Tenig a ol ahed dadian. Ayayi! Ayayi! Tusa gurkinig the vas homur son eg the harte. Avashtish, avashtish. Cad e cuish na tabish to self we ho. Marta lunga na ji deck avan lesh a dear shagaler sclista. Agus ni hound di of ni smo. Ni hound doi of ni smo. Presumably, at the time the chorus starts describing Darius' appearance with his formal robes and his yellow slippers. Maybe my favourite line in all of Nula's translation. The king himself comes into view. Seances and spirit trafficking don't always go according to plan in plays for the theatre, but in this case, the incantations are effective. 
Darius returns to speak with his people, and we'll hear what he has to say tomorrow night. Persians, the podcast, is supported by the Arts Council on Coila Aline and broadcast as part of Dublin Theatre Festival 2020. It's written and presented by me, Connor Hanrity, and we're building the project around a new Irish translation of the play by Nuala Nigonal. Tonight you heard contributions from Lydia Conyoriu, Edith Hall and Oliver Taplin, and performances by Marie Mullen as the Queen and Bridi Nachtin and Katrina Nivarhu as the Chorus. You can catch up on all episodes and read more about the project at persiansthepodcast.com. Thank you very much for your company, and I hope you'll join us again tomorrow.